everybody. This is Jim Ford. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. Oh, and I'm Sean Pryor. Hello. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 26. Joining us on the phone today, as you've heard, is Mr. Sean Pryor, the man behind PKD Media. Hi, Sean. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Doing good. Thank you, thank you very much for having me on the having me on the show, man. I feel honored. I've been, I'm on the same show that that Christopher Maloney and Phil Lamar have been on, man. This rocks. Definitely. <laughs> so today we're gonna be getting to Green Lantern. No. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot we were doing. <laughs> yeah, no, today we'll definitely be mentioning Green Lantern at some point. <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna be looking at Blackest Night number three, uh, Green Lantern Core number forty, and Blackest Night Titans number one. But uh. First, let's forget DC. Let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the comics that you put out, Sean. For anybody listening who doesn't know, what is PKD Media? What does that stand for? Uh, PKD Media stands for uh, Prior, my last name, P-R-Y-O-R, Prior Knowledge Digital Media. Um, when we first uh, started up this little comic book thing, because a lot of the artwork I was receiving was over the Internet, a lot of, all the communication between artists and everything was done digitally, you know, using the power of the Internet and, and computers, I just said, well, we just call it you know, PKD media because it's quote unquote digital, even though we have paper, you know, we have paper comics and we're on the web as well. Basically what we do, we're all about comics. We love comics and uh, we want to spread the joy of comics. We have a lot of all ages material. Um, our website, uh, pkdmedia.com currently airs our buddy cop comedy, comic Mercury and the Murder three, three days a week. And starting in November, we are going to have an all new fall lineup where we will have, um, comics uh, six days a week. We'll have uh, Mercury and the Murd and uh, some other stars such as the Agents of Cult, XO on the Rock Solid Steelbots. Um, we'll also have a uh, new series from a gentleman by the name of Luke Foster called The Gang from the Store, which is a comic book, uh, which is comic book retail based and a couple other things too. And we also have a spotlight on independent creators, podcasts and artists and writers that we also feature on our website. Um, we've been doing that kind of sporadically right now, but once the new fall lineup hits, we'll be doing that on probably on a weekly to bi-weekly basis. But um, no, we're all about comics. We're all about spreading the love of comics. Um, you know, it's people of all ages and uh, having a good time with it. And we hope to expand into other venues in the near future. But right now, we're poor, so we can't do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, that's a lot of digital content. Like, is at some point, does it get collected into print, or is it like... Um, yes. As a matter of fact, we've got some books in print right now. Um, Mercury and the Murd, the collected edition, which has like the first four chapters or the pilot episode of Mercury and the Murd, um, is available at IndiePlanet.com. And that's what we're currently airing on PKDMedia.com right now. And that story arc should end, I think, the next to last week of October. Then after that, what we decided to do is we decided to... Um, we like Mercury and the Mercury so much, we spun it off and we made it into an anthology book called PKD Media Presents, where Mercury and the Murder is the flagship and franchise. But then after that, you have uh, four to five additional titles, you know, following Mercury and the Murder in the book. Where um, Volume One of PKD Media Presents is also available on IndiePlanet.com, and you get um, in Volume One you get a big Mercury and the Murder story, uh, XO on the Rock Style Steelbots, Agents of Cult, Alpha Simeon. Um, a uh, $6 million man meets machine man type story uh, called Matt. And uh, we also have, I think, like one other story as well, if memory serves me right. Oh, yeah, my favorite, 
uh, the sci-fi adventure Black's Danger in space. So, um, so it's a lot of fun doing this stuff. And we got a new book coming out um, that's going to be available for solicit on DCBS and Heroes Corner in October uh, called Wasted Wonderland. So uh, we're having a lot of fun with this right now. What's, wow. uh, what's Wasted Wonderland about? Wasted Wonderland is a mix between take a choral soap opera, a dark comedy, bits of Alice in Wonderland, and the sassiness of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series, and put it all in one big, you know, one big stew pot. Um, what <laughs> happens is, is that there's a, um, a, a lady by the name of uh, Stacy Chapman who's returning to her hometown of Greenbrook, Ohio. And uh, she's going there for a reunion with an old friend she hasn't seen in years. And really, they first, they really just, you know, they haven't communicated in a while. And when she returns back to the hometown to see her friend, a lot of secrets and lies and deceit and everything just comes out, comes out of the blue. And, you know, then this fantasy element comes out of nowhere. And at the end of the day, can Stacy handle all this and can she survive, survive it all? So you have to have to read Wasted Wonderland to find out. The artwork is by a gentleman on the, on the forum boards, uh, Flint Lockjaw, a.k.a. Stephen Reed. Um, he knows how to draw women. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, so I I was very ecstatic when he jumped aboard on the project. 40-page um, book, and it's only going to be on Heroes Corner and DCBS for solicit, only two ninety nine. And its normal retail price is four fifty. But, um, you know, two ninety nine for a 40-page book I think is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Now, you mentioned the art, and that actually leads me to a question. This is something that I don't think I've heard come up on other podcasts you've been on before. Yeah. Now, I know for, I think, a good chunk, if not all of the art on your books, you draw a lot from the forum, the thecomicforums.com. Yes, indeed. Does PKD Media pay its artists, or is it more like a friends helping friends community kind of thing? Some people, some people we do pay. Um, some people we do pay. Some people... Uh, some people, the way it works out, they're looking for exposure, um, and you know, I'm, and I'm looking to write comics, and they're looking for exposure. So it's a, it's kind of like a win-win. I'll give them copies of the book uh, for free. Um, other artists, other artists, you know, they'll tell me like, look, I have this, you know, I have this set page rate. We can work this out, and if you can give me this by this date, um, you know, we're cool. And other artists are like, this is my page rate. It doesn't change. This is what I need. There you go. So it varies. It, it, it varies because a lot of times, if I if I got the money to do it, that's pretty that's pretty much the deciding factor. Because when you're starting, when you're you know when you're doing a small business startup, especially dealing with comic books, um, money is sometimes far and few between. So you kind of have to pick and choose when you're doing these projects. Who can you afford to spend money on, and who can you you know work with? that is willing to do the work for free but willing to, one, be happy to get that exposure and also bump up their resume and at the same time continue to grow as an artist. Very cool. Yes, definitely. The fact that you can afford to pay any of the artists, to me, like, it gives them, it gives me a good feeling that PKD Media is having at least some level of success. Otherwise, it would, you wouldn't be able to like hand out money to people. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and it's not like we're paying, like, you know... Uh, Marvel page rates or anything like that. I mean, it just, it just really all depends, like, on the level of the story. Per- perfect example. I mean, PKD Media Presents Volume 1, um, the uh, story called Matt, which is only a five-page story, um, because I wanted Dave Wachter to do, to do that five-pager. And because Dave Wachter is an amazing artist, 
you know, he had a set page rate. And I said, okay, cool. I was like, we worked something out. And I, you know, I said, I can pay you this on this date and this on this date. And it was cool. He gave me the artwork on time and I was able to pay him on time. Now, finances are really tight right now. So, you know, we want to continue that story. But right now we really can't because I've got so many irons in the fire. But at that time I was, you know, I could pay him. But if we try to continue it right now, we probably couldn't because, um, because of the way things are sitting financially. But I'm hoping when the new year starts that we can start it back up again. You know, but yeah, page rates vary, dude. Uh, it really varies depending on depending on the person you talk to. Because for some people, that's the that's their way of life. That's what they're making their money off of. For other people, it's I got a full time job. I'm trying to get in, so you know, you if you can pay me this, we're cool. And then with other folks, it's just like you know, I just need the exposure right now, and um, you know, I need it, just somebody to take a chance on me. So my my goal is is just to help them continue to get exposure and. One day they'll blow up the spot and be like, you know what? I don't need you no more, fool. And they just leave. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a learning experience. Um, doing this has been a massive learning experience for me. And the fact that I, tr- I decided to start doing this during a bad economic downturn was yeah. probably not the smartest idea. But when the wheels got rolling in November 2007, I said, no, we're not stopping. We're not stopping. So, no, we're going ke- to keep moving until the, until the bottom falls out. But I don't see the bottom falling out. So now a question that I had, I've seen you at the CGS Super Show, and I've seen actual photos of you at other conventions, and uh-huh. you seem like you really know how to you know, promote yourself and you know, give a good image as far as you know, putting out something that people want to buy. Mm-hmm. So my question is, like, what suggestions would you have to... I don't know, maybe a podcast that wanted to promote itself at a convention or something like that. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, in a situation like if you want, if you like, say for instance, if you're a podcast and you want to, um, you know, go to a con and like kind of market yourself, you could do a couple of things. You know, these, these are just suggestions. Trust me, these are not the be all end all because believe you me, I do not <laughs> do not have all the answers. But um, you know, say for instance, if you go to a convention and you got a table. You know, you get you know get yourself a get you you could get possibly get yourself a small table, uh, have yourself a banner a banner stand display with your podcast. You know, saying what the podcast is all about, put some nice fancy images up there. Have samples of your podcast available on CD for free, and you know you know you get people you know lure people. To, you don't have to like lure people in like hey you come here, but you know hopefully people depending on the flow of traffic will come by. Make sure you note on the table that the samples of the show are free. Um, you know, possibly at your table, put a list of like all the people you've talked to. Say, for instance, in 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 your case in point, the whole Christopher Maloney, Phil Lamar, those are real popular dudes. Yeah. Comic book community knows those dudes. So, you know, you put that on there. Say, put like put just uh, snippets of you know those interviews on your on your CD. See, and then say after the uh, interview's done, if you want to listen to the rest of this, go to blah 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 blah. And boom, there you go. You got a you got a new listener right then and there. So um, there's definitely ways to do it. There's definitely ways to do it. Now let's say you went to a con and you didn't want a table. In situations like that, have your backpack ready. Have your um, have your uh, CD. Have like you know a nice CD that says Lantern Cast. Put in a CD envelope and like you know possibly like you know put like a Green Lantern card in there or like a Green Lantern image in there and on the back of the CD envelope you know just you know give a little breakdown of what Lantern Cast is all about 
and just hand them out to people. And, you know, you could do it that way, too. Now, that's because that's like the low-cost version because then you're not paying for a table, um, you know, so you don't have to worry about table costs. Because in your situation, because you're a podcast, um, with podcasts buying, you know, getting tables at booths, it's pretty much a loss leader situation where you're not going to make any money off the con, per se. You're just trying to get exposure. So when you buy that, when you purchase that table, it's automatically a loss. But it's a win if you get people to, you know, get the word out about your show, take your CD sampler, and learn what your show is about. So um, to me, that's, I, I think those things could help you out. Uh, that's, that's some great ideas. I, I especially like the idea of put the interview on but not, like, the whole thing so that way if they want to learn more, they'll have to go to the site. That's brilliant. Exactly. Give them a taste, but they got to earn the rest. <laughs> you know, that that's that's how that's how you I mean for me that's how it works. I mean, but at the same time you're being respectful about it. You know, you're not being a jerk you know, you're not being a jerk about it. You just say, you know, if you if you enjoyed this interview, go check out our site here and you can get it there and you can check out all of our other episodes, you know, and all this other stuff. You know, just you know, gently give them the gateway. And it's up and it's up to them to uh to, to decide whether they want to do it or not. Because normally if you force something on somebody, they'll walk away. But if you give them the polite option, um, you know, a lot of times they'll take it. It's kind of like how in the last New York con where Jim was walking around, hey, a guy with a Green Lantern shirt, and shoving a business card in their hand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't regret that at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're a terrible person. <laughs> We all get our start somewhere. We all get our start somewhere. But in the end, you know, whether it's a, whether it be a podcast, whether it be, you know, comics, web comics, no matter what you're doing, it's honestly all about exposure. Because, you know, let's look at, you know, jumping point where we all really got into this. Um, you know, you, this is episode 26, correct? Right. Yes. So, you know, you're 26 episodes into something, into a, into a genre podcasting uh, area where the, where, like, you know, the docket's pretty full. And it can continue to grow because with the power of the Internet, pretty much every, everything's infinite. Um, you know, there's no stopping point. So, you know, you're in a state, you're in an area where you're in a market that continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And when you've hit it, it's kind of big, but it's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. So you got in at a good time. <laughs> with, me, with, with me and comics, it's a little bit different because, yeah, we've got, you know, comics that we have in print. We're starting to put them on the web. But... We're at an area now where there are so many, you know, comic websites up, you know, with people doing individual web comics or just taking their regular comic and putting it on the web. We're fighting for airtime. You know, this is kind of like the new, for, for, for comic people, to me, it's like the new cable television. And the people that got in the game before anybody really, really took web comics, you know, to the point of, oh, wow, this is a really cool medium, you know. Those people that got in the game early and got that cornerstone, they're good. But you know, for us, for like the new guys, we got to come in. We got to work even harder to uh, you know to get in that market and you know and get people to pay attention to us. So I give props to those people that got in early and got in when they did because <laughs> yeah. um, you know it's, it's it wasn't easy for them you know because they started to fight to get that traffic, but it was a much easier job than it is than it is for cats like me. But that's all right because. It's really all about longevity, and to be honest with you, it's, for me, it's all about longevity. We haven't been in this game that long, and I got to earn it. 
you know, PKD Media has to earn it. So I just can't say, hey, give me a thousand readers a day now. No, it doesn't work like that. I got to earn it. I got to earn people's respect. I got to earn, you know, people's trust. I got to earn people's readership, whether they read it on the Internet, whether they buy the paper copy, um, you know, and if I can get with some of these digital comic book stores, whether, you know, that way, too. I got to earn it. We all got to earn it because um, nothing's given. (laughs) Nothing's given. It's all got to be earned. Speaking of earning, I just I have to give you credit for this. Jim, do you listen to Half Hour Wasted? Um, no. All right. Well, I'll be replacing you shortly then. No. Um, <laughs> over there, one of the hosts, Brad, he goes by edit this on, on the forum. His daughter, Ashley, got selected to, I think, March in, it was a Thanksgiving Day Parade? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he had to raise funds to help her, you know, help pay for her trip, the hotel, the trip, the back and forth, because they're in Texas. And, you know, Brad was on the forum. He was trying to sell trades and all this, this and that. And Sean here, you made this pledge that for, I think it was a, for a two-month span, like mm-hmm. 100% of the profits from PKD Media's books gets donated to Brad for this trip. That was, like, that was amazing. Thanks, man. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where, like I said, right now we're at a stage where we're not, you know, it's, it's not like we're, make, you know, we're making so much money I can swim in it like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> and um you know it's we're still in the early stages so you know the money isn't really pouring in as much as it's it kind of trickle trickle <laughs> and um financial wise but i i saw this for me it's just one of those things where brad brad and half hour wasted they've always been real good to me always they've always been very good to me they've always been a, a very you know very very strong supporter of um what we're, what we're trying to do here and I just felt that it was only necessary to um, to be you know to be helpful to help them because they've done so much for me. When we originally started this idea, I said you know what, I'll give fifty five percent of my profits and to any sale. And what happened was was that the sales on on indieplanet.com were still kind of trickling. And I'm like, this ain't hitting it. Um, you know, we got to do better. So I just said, you know what, screw it. I'll just give a hundred percent. And um, yeah, so it was just. You know, it was it was just easier that way. When it was all said and done, I was able to donate like a little over over a hundred some dollars, and um, it helped. And like you know, other people donated, and it helped too. And you know, so I you know I don't want to I want to make sure those folks get the, get their props too because a lot of people contributed, a lot of people pitched in. But um, sometimes, man, you just really you just got to give from the heart. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that to be corny and ABC after school specialist. Sometimes you just got to give to get something back in, in the long run. So. Um, and plus, I like to give. So hey, I think like the fact alone that like you've gone out there and you've proven you care about people might sway pe- some like new readers to give your product a try. That's really awesome, Sean. That that really speaks to your character. It's it's definitely a very very cool thing to do. Oh, thank you, Jim. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. And since there's no way that we could possibly say anything else that could top that. Then uh, let's take a break and we'll come back with some Green Lantern news. Cool. <laughs> How many times has the thought crossed your mind that the only people reading comics are 40 year old white dudes? Well, I'm here to break that wall down. Hello, everybody. My name is Alec Barry and I am the host of Teenage Wasteland, a solo cast each and every week showcasing my experiences growing old with comic books, movies, and music. 
You can find my show at TeenageWastelandPodcast.blogspot.com or you can go over to the comic forums at thecomicforums.com and find the show thread. You can also find the show in iTunes and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Alec underscore Barry. I hope that you all join in and listen and I will see you on the boards. And we're back. And Dan, I believe you have some Green Lantern news. Alan Moore hates Blackest Night. No, he created Blackest Night. No, oh, he was next to it. Oh, all right. Um, I'm going to give credit to I Am Sci-Fi as a member on the forums, because he first found this article and posted it. Hey, Alan Moore talks about Blackest Night for about a paragraph. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to... Well, there, I have two sentences here that I want to point out, because I think it kind of encapsulates the whole point. Uh, this is Alan Moore talking. I was noticing that DC seems to have based one of its latest crossovers in Green Lantern based on a couple of eight-page stories I did 25 or 30 years ago. I would have thought that would seem kind of desperate and humiliating. And he goes on to say, These days I increasingly get a sense of comics industry going through my trash can, like raccoons in the dead of night. So, what do you think of that, Jim? (laughs) Um, I say, if I knew where Alan Moore lived, maybe I would go through his trash cans as well. God, you're such a suck-up. You're such an Alan Moore suck-up. We're not getting his interview. <laughs> um, my big thing with this is, you know, and this is obviously, this is part of a larger article, not just about Blackest Night, but, I mean, there's nowhere in here where it mentions Alan Moore ever read any of the, the new material. And that that's a big point to me. Because, I mean, yes, he he knows all about the material that they're drawing from right now, Mm-hmm. But it, he doesn't have any context for his criticism. Right. So it's it's one thing to just blanketly say, "Oh, that's that sucks," even though I've never seen or heard it before. But it's another thing entirely to go, "Okay, well, let me try for for an issue or a few pages, and then call it based on that." I look at it. I looked at it like this: um, for Jeff Johns to to do this, this is something that I, I think like a lot of us would probably do you know as a kid you know we read all these comic books and we thought oh this is a really cool this is really cool you know and this is really cool and this story is really cool this little short story is really cool and you get older and you finally get that spot where you can write the story you want to write so then you think what was that thing that i read as a kid that nobody ever really elaborated elaborated on i want to do something with that that was my childhood dream. I want to do something with that. And to me, that's what Jeff Johns is doing. I mean, Grant, he's got the key to the DC universe right now. He can drive it wherever he wants. But um, that's you know, that, to me, that's what it looks like. And and for me, it's more of a you know, I'm doing this because of this story. So you know, Alan Moore put this out there. So you know, it's kind of like his way of saying, hey, thanks, man. You know, you you gave me something that inspired me to do that to create this. Um, now. To me, the interviewer kind of, to me, it comes off as, look, I'm going to ask him this question because I know it's going to set him off, and it's just going to set off a reaction to the comics reading crowd. That's how it came off to me because I'm like, you know, in the context of the interview itself, they were talking about something else, and then, oh, by the way, you know. And so to me, it was just like, you know what, I'm like, you know the dude doesn't really like, doesn't really dig Marvel and DC. You know he's, you know, he doesn't really dig what the big two are doing right now or any you know, big comic book company's doing right now. He's not really feeling it. Um, but at the same time, I look at it like, you know what? Just because Alan Moore doesn't doesn't like what's going on, that shouldn't affect me as a reader. 
it shouldn't affect me as a reader because you know if I like something I like it regardless of who who you know says well I don't like this and they're just biting off my old old ideas in the trash I don't care you know you are he is not the be all end all as to tell me what I'm supposed to like and not like so um, that's just that's the way I look at it that's the yep. way I look at it you know he, it's not up to him to tell me what I'm what I'm supposed to dig and not dig it's up to me. Um, to say this is what I like and this is what I don't like, but um, everybody's entitled to their, to their own opinion. But you know, I just let it go. I, I read that and I'm just like, really, really, dude, you've you've done you've done so much for comics. I know you don't. I, I agree with the fact that there needs to be more originality in comics, and that goes across the board. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. But you don't really have to take a dump on. The dump on you know Mr. Johns because that's to me that's how it came off. And if I read that the wrong way, you know I apologize. But to me, I'm like, dude, you don't really have to take a dump on the guy because he read an old story, read a story that he remembered as a kid, blew it up, and could create something that was just massive. So um, you know you really didn't have to take a dump on dude like that. So, but no, that's how, that's how I looked at it. Yeah. Yeah, and and ultimately this is like even when he wrote these things, this was him playing in DC's sandbox with DC's characters. So, mm-hmm. I mean, once once he leaves, everything he made, that's DC's, that's in their continuity, it's in their history. Those characters are theirs, so they can... Like, I mean, he, he, shouldn't, he really has no expectation of, like, oh, well, they're just going to leave what I did alone now. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah, and that goes for anybody's writing. That goes for anybody's works. You, you know, so... Um... So yeah, I, I just I, I just let it roll off my back because nowadays it just seems like everybody when they interview Alan Moore they wanna they wanna just get that one question to tick them off. Yeah. Well, um, okay, yeah, I have a few thoughts on this. One, like somebody else had said, he came up with this entire creation that basically does exactly what he's accusing Jeff Johns of doing, and that's the entire League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like, there are these existing characters that somebody else created, and now he's doing something with them. I mean, like, isn't that exactly what he doesn't like? Mm-hmm. And, like, on top of that, like, it also seems that he's basically down on the concept of a character that has 60 years of continuity. Like, that very concept... Is is just something that he you know he's totally not down with. He's like you know it's it's laughable and it's sad that they're trying to keep telling stories for sixty years because they just want to make money. It's like well I mean like the it, there's like a there's a beauty to the concept of having a character around for so long you know like the concept of Superman has endured for like you know what is it seventy years now eighty years. 70, I think, 70-ish. When was 1939? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 70 years of Superman. I mean, like, even if you don't like the stories now, or there was a period where you didn't like the stories, or whatever, the concept of Superman has endured, and it's he still has a, a very large following. And the same thing with Green Lantern, same thing with Flash and Batman and everybody else. And... To take a story that was just a couple of pages long and to, like, to blow up, like, you know, this huge storyline, which, like, so many people are just absolutely loving, 
it's just, you know, that's that's a major accomplishment and that's a very very cool thing. And he mm-hmm. doesn't he doesn't see that at all. Yeah. I you know, and I and I think a lot of that is just due to his dissension, or not dissension, I guess disliking of uh, you know, of DC Comics and his his disliking of you know, what Hollywood has done with his works. And you know, I and I can, like I said, I can understand if he's been treated treated a certain way and he felt disrespected and that's why he you know left those set companies alone. I understand that. But at the same time I'm like every time somebody asks him a question about, you know, whether it be Marvel, whether it be D C, whether it be Watchmen, be for Vendetta, it's always very it comes off in a lot of the things I've read very snarky ish and you know, and there's a lot of bitterness and there there's a point where you just need to let it go. And, you know, because I'm like, you know, I respect your works, man. I may not like I may not may not like everything you've done, but I do respect what you've done for the industry and other people do, too. And I, I know you've got your differences with people, but do let it go. You know, just let it be. Let it be. And let your works let your works continue to speak for you instead of these little little moments of, of Internet of, inter, of Internet uh, bite, sound bites or or. Uh, or paragraph bites speak for you. Let your work speak for you. We know what you're capable of, man. Let the work speak for you. All right. Yes. Well, speaking of letting the work speak for itself and others, Sean, you want to jump into Blackest Night number three? Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Yes, I'm, I'm actually got my copy right here in front of my face. Um, looking at the uh, the uh, Blackest uh, Blackest Night uh, JLA with... Um, Let's see what it looks like. I get yeah, black hand in the middle holding what seems to be Batman's skull, according to the fancy glow. In Blackest Night number three, um, we are introduced uh, to uh, the battle between the uh, Blackest Night Lantern and JLA and uh, Green Lantern and Flash uh, um, ensues. Uh, we also have a, a little heart-to-heart moment between Jason Rush and Jim, a.k.a. Firestorm. Um, the battle we, the battle between the, black, um, the Blackest Night um, Blackest Night, JLA Lanterns, and uh, Flash and Green Lantern, pretty heavy. Um, we get an appearance by the Atom, um, and then we uh, stumble upon the Hall of Justice, <laughs> or JLA headquarters, and all the ramblings that's going on across the world with um, you know Black Lanterns everywhere. Um, we are then introduced to uh, the Indigo La- the Indigo Lanterns and the power that they hold within. And then um, the Indigo Lanterns, the Green Lantern, Flash, um, along with uh, Mera and good old Jason Rush and Jen, a.k.a. Firestorm, um, all meet up at the Hall of Justice. Uh, we get a little rundown of how uh, the whole uh, Lantern Corps and, and, the, and the meeting of all the different colors, um, what those uh, have uh, transpired to be and why they, why they exist. And then the, um, the Black Lantern JLA uh, Corps shows up. Um, something very tragic happens to uh, to Jason and Jen, and uh, it's curtains for somebody. And then from that, um, more Black Lanterns show up. So that is a quick rundown of Blackest Night number three. Uh, that, was that okay? That was perfect. That was. Cool. cool. And I, I, didn't, I didn't want to give too much away. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we ever said, like, you can feel free to spoil. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. The, the the term goes, we spoil everything all the time, always. <laughs> if, we've, if we've heard of it, we will spoil <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, um, 
you know, I read this. I've read this a couple of times, and and I've read all three issues of Black is Nice so far, and I've you know I've read a couple of the crossovers, not a lot of them, a couple because I'm kind of that old old school stodgy person that says, you know what, it's supposed to all be in the limited series. <laughs> you know, I've I've kind of been in that you know Crisis on Infinite Earths and Secret War or Secret Wars because that's what I grew up in. So I'm still used to that. Hey, it's all supposed to be in one book, dang it. So. I really, um, I really do like Blackest Night. It, it took me a while to warm up to it because it's to me it's really creepy <laughs> because the Black Lanterns are so, you know, mean and and like mean spirited and they always try to hit those trigger points on every single hero they face, you know, to to evoke emotion because that's what they're all about, you know, it's because the emotion is what powers them. Mm-hmm. So, um, but when I read number one. And I saw and I saw Jason Rush and Jen with um, with Professor Stein, and they were only in it for a second. I knew something was going to happen to Jason to to, J, to Jason Rush or or you know the current Firestorm. And when I saw him on the first page of Blackest Night three, and they were talking about their relationship, I'm like, he's screwed. Firestorm is screwed. He's officially screwed. And and like I just I got upset. <laughs> I really got upset. And then um. You know when and when Ronnie turned uh, Jen into uh, into salt and pulled her heart out. First off, that was cold. That was that was like Rick James cold blooded. Oh, and um, and like it really struck a nerve with me. I mean, it really truly struck a nerve with me. And I was, it was just cold. And now you got Jason Rush inside of inside of the uh, Black Lantern and Ronnie Raymond, and Jason can't control his emotions. So he's just made Black Lantern and Firestorm even more powerful, and it's it's looking bad, man. It's looking pretty bleak. Yeah, yeah. that whole scene with uh, you know, with, with Jen's murder, that was, I mean, it was like, uh, I was surprised how much effect it had, considering like, I mean, I read the new Firestorm series off and on, yes. and like, I never really latched on to Jen. Like I, I think I, I think I was in there before she was really fleshed out as a character, but mm-hmm. like this issue, it, it makes you at least to some degree care what happens to her, and I think like what really sells it is like there's this great range of expressions on Black Lantern Firestorm's face, like he's so, it's so animated, and it, it's it's so like again impressive because there's nothing to work with there except for a skull and some lighting. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's it's such a, like a basic yet unusual way to kill someone that it, it's weird. But it was it was like just right, you know. Yeah, and there's something about, and it it it, it kind of disturbs me at the same time too that when Jeff Johns kills somebody, he kills somebody, and it's just so it's. It's it, it it's just very disturbing to me. I mean, this is going back to Infinite Crisis when like uh, Black Adam punched a uh, punched a hole through um, Psycho as a Psycho Man, I think. Um, psycho Pirate. Sci- thank you, Psycho Pirate. Through Psycho Pirates, you know, just he just punched he just punched his face off, <laughs> and um and then with uh let's see what else like with in Blackest Light and Blackest Night number one, you know, when um Hawkman and Hawk Girl just caught a gruesome death. And this gruesome death here, I mean, just it's just gruesome. And, you know, Jeff Johns gets his point across that every character, no matter how small, no matter how big, is important. And he's really good at doing that. 
and I appreciate that, but at the same time, I'm like, people always have to mess with Jason Rush Firestorm. <laughs> so, and because it's one of my favorite characters, I guess I take it a little bit more personally, and I shouldn't. I just do. But I digress. I digress. Yeah, no, like, I, I completely agree. Like, I, I, I haven't even read Firestorm, the, the, the series, but just, like, seeing them together in, like, uh, was it the recent Justice League issues? Mm-hmm. And then this, this first page just sets it up, and it's like, you know, they do such a good job at just making you care. And then when they ended up, you know, killing her off, it's just like, oh, my God. That was, like, that was hands down the most powerful death that I've read in comics in, like, a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it, reached that, it reaches that, uh, that, like, whole death of Ted Core type status. Yeah. But, I mean, that, but once again, that's just me because I have an affection for lower-tier characters. But you look at somebody like Firestorm, Firestorm, really, in all sense and purposes, should be one of the most powerful, powerful heroes in the DC Universe. You know, you can't tell me that the nuclear man, you know, not great Jason, still has a lot to learn about chemical chemical compounds and all this other stuff. Still, he should be one of the most powerful um, heroes in the DC universe. And I hope out of Blackest Night, there's this transition with Firestorm where he actually understands his power, if he makes it through. Because we still don't yeah. know what's going to happen. If they wanted to give him, like, an inciting event to push him to the next level, this would definitely work. And as far as Jen's death goes, I think, like, like you brought up Ted Kord. I think her death has the same thing going for it that Ted Kord's did, that Sue Dibney's did, in that she's a minor enough character that you don't automatically know this is going to get backpedaled on. Like, this could be, like, a really impactful death that sticks. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I hope it does, um, you know, because the whole thing about death is you know a very big deal in blackest night and you know when they've talked about how you know certain heroes or certain people have been able to come back from the grave again and again and again and again and again um i just you know i just really want these deaths to really you know i want this to serve a purpose and i you know and and, and when after reading blackest night three i'm trying to find out what this purpose is because you know the indigo lanterns break down you know, kind of break down the reasonings of why the Black Lanterns are here. And it kind of comes off as they're not here to, you know, take things over. It's more of a they're here to kind of balance things out. And that's what I got from I, That's what I got from it. I might be wrong about that, but that's that's what I got from it. But um, It's like they're trying to take the universe back from life. Yes. Like, like well, Jim, speaking of indigos, why don't you go off on that? <laughs> Well, well, before I go into that, like, the one thing that I did want to mention is right on the first page, like, you can see some of his index cards, and, Mm. like, so far, two of them have played a huge part in this issue, and I have a feeling that the third one, they may leave there for, like, a clue for a future issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, right on the top panel, like, you see three cards, NACL, that's Table Salt, um... The CHCL3, I believe that's uh, the fire retardant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And H2SO4 is sulfuric acid. Hmm. So we may see him get a little, uh, you know, pissed off and using the sulfuric acid. There's also a note telling him to get his laundry. We might see him go to the laundromat. 
<laughs> and I mean, like the obvious one is Professor Stein's number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's see, I I didn't even uh I didn't even really pay attention to that until you just said that. I honestly did not. So yeah, they, you're absolutely right. They're dropping clues everywhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely everywhere. So, okay, let's see the indigo stuff. Well, well, first off, like my first question is. Is it Hal Jordan that brings the Indigo Lanterns, you know, to that point right there because he has his connection to everybody else in Blackest Night or mm-hmm. in, in all the other leaders of the different cores? Or is it Ray's compassion that brings them there? I don't know. I assumed they were looking for Hal, but, you know, they even make, uh, who is it? One of the Black Lanterns even makes a point of saying that compassion is is a rare find in this world, so... Maybe, like maybe it was like they were looking for Hal, but they noticed Ray's compassion, so they went towards that, and Hal just happened to be there. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely thinking it's a little bit of both, but you're definitely right in the fact that Hal is the key, so they're definitely coming for Hal. And I thought it was really, um, it was really cool that the Indigo Lanterns were able to channel Hal's power to sever connections with uh, the Black Lanterns. Right. That's that's something that they kind of showed us in the uh, Tales of the Core mini, the Blackest Night ah. Tales of the Core. Okay. It's kind of like their ability to empathize since they have the, the compassion power. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that I, you know, I'm kind of like looking at, Ray has pretty much lost, like, everybody now that he has any, you know, attachment to. Everybody's dead, and... He has mentioned numerous times where it's like, you know, what is my purpose? I don't even know what I'm doing anymore, basically. Now, here he is, capable of great compassion, and they're talking about the Indigo Lanterns, who pretty much just, like, sever all their ties, you know, to individualism. Oh. I'm thinking that by the time Blackest Night is over, Ray Palmer is going to be an Indigo Lantern. That'd be interesting, because... they. His his character is a character I don't think anybody's really understood what to do with for a very since since um uh, identity crisis. I really don't think he's really been you know used and like the only and the only way to get him out into the limelight is like you said make him lose completely everything he's ever that, that, that he's ever been close to or any everything that he's ever loved. Um, because if there's ever a character that needed purpose right now, it's definitely the Adam. I could almost see them doing like a a sword of the atom kind of thing where he's in the indigo tribe, but at the same time, like it seems to kind of directly contradict what everybody thinks they're going to be doing with the JLA next year, which is like taking their their most recognizable characters in their most recognizable forms and putting them all out in the front. So, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to take Ray and make him a member of a Lantern Corps for any kind of long period of time, then they probably should have done it already. Unless Ray's not going to be in that Justice League. Yeah, we saw Brian, but I don't think they would stick him in with, like, Hal Jordan, Barry Allen, Arthur Curry, that kind of lineup. You know, you never know, man. I mean, with in this situation, they could change their mind a gajillion times. I mean, I know the Atom is going to be part of the uh, JLA that uh, Robinson and Bagley are doing starting in October. So, you know, so we know for a fact Adams in, in this new rendition of JLA that's coming out really, really soon. So, you know, it, it's it's really it's really really up in the air. 
it's really up in the air. And it was cold. It was really cold of the Indigo Lanterns just to take Hal and just say, we got to go. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you handled those other Black Lanterns, you know, before. I'm like, can't you just help them out real quick, get rid of them so we can continue to do what we got to do? I I didn't understand that abruptness. You know, I really didn't because Indigo is supposed to be, like you said, compassionate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So wouldn't you have compassion for your fellow, you know, for, for the fellow people that were there? You know, the Black Lanterns are a threat and help them out. Or is this all part of the whole plan, you know what I mean? Is that so, sometimes certain things have to happen, and the Indigo Lanterns have to let certain things go? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's it's more of a they have to have compassion for the entire universe and save everybody, so they can't, you know, they can't waste their time with like such a small scale, you know, use of compassion. Yeah, but of all the Black Lanterns to take out, they pick they picked like the two least dangerous ones. They took out <laughs> Ralph and Sue. I mean, I mean, uh, Sue is like Martian Manhunter and Firestorm show up. They're like, oh, yeah, you guys take these. Bye. <laughs> I do I do like how like almost like Strike Team esque they were. Like like any damage they did to the actual bodies was just to line up a shot at the rings. Like they were sniping the black rings from like the moment they showed up, and like that was really good. Yeah, very very good. Oh yeah, and one other thing that I noticed as they're walking through the halls, you have the uh, like the scene where you see like the three statues of like Aquaman, Vibe, and Steel. Ste- steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's JLA Detroit Steel. Okay. Um, but aside from that, in the other room, you have Batman's utility belt, you have Green Arrow's arrows and quiver, and you have a tiny little picture, which is based off of the poster that you got with the death of Superman. Mm. All three characters have died. Uh, I want Black Lantern vibe. (laughs) (laughs) You are really killing it on these clues, man. I'm serious. This stuff... I did not pay attention to this stuff because I got so heavy into the actual reading, into the actual dialogue and the you know, and the words and everything. Because I'm like, okay, there's got to be you know, deeper meaning into some into some in some of this dialogue. And see, that's how that's how Jeff Johns gets you sometimes because you'll get so I get so knee deep in his dialogue sometimes I forget the surrounding. You know, I completely forget the surroundings because he he pulls you in. I did not even see that. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, that is oh. so cool. Uh, in this issue, we learn that uh, apparently all of the different colors of the different cores uh, what comes from when the darkness splintered the white light. So now what the Indigo is trying to do is get like the most powerful member from each core that Hal Jordan has some sort of tie to mm-hmm. and recreate the white light of creation to take out... like where all this, you know, black energy is coming from. Yeah, I was so glad to see the emotional spectrum finally make its way into this book. (laughs) Uh, It's like, fine, now people will know what the symbols at the top of the cover mean. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like this idea that, um, like, it's not so much the darkness is this outside force trying to encroach upon life. It's like, like, originally the universe was darkness, and then light just showed up and messed everything up. So now, like, death and darkness is trying to take it back, you know? Oh, and also notice 
for 700 years, the universe was nothing but blinding white light. 700 years? Oh. And 100 uh, for each color of the core. Ah, okay. You are breaking this down. <laughs> you are you are getting like on like a metatextual level right now that I, <laughs> I, I'm just not I, – I did not see. Yes. That makes that, that makes sense. Sometimes yeah. it ha- it means nothing, but sometimes it does. <laughs> Usually it means nothing. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this, because when Mira is talking to Firestorm, uh, she says she's found that if you stay focused and centered, Black Lanterns have trouble tracking you. Now, the Green Lantern series up to this point has reinforced that you know Hal is all about willpower, while he's pretty poor in every area of emotion. Uh, I mean, this to me says, like, if Hal, if he's not surrounded by other more emotional people, like if he's off in space by himself or something, Black Lanterns might not be able to find him. And I, th- I thought about that like a little broader. Like if the same thing is true for other Green Lanterns, maybe that's part of why the Black so many Black Rings targeted the Lantern Crypt on Oa, because if you've got an army of willpower-based unemotional people all over the universe that you can't track then you attack a central location that'll draw all of them in. Wait, like, so, wait, are you trying to assume that willpower is the same as not having any emotion? Well, remember when, in issue one, when um, Scar took the heart out of the Guardian and said it was useless because it was... That was one full of willpower, right? Or was that full of fear? No, that was full of willpower. No, the hearts were full of nothing. That was the problem. Their hearts were useless. Hmm. Because, like, they can see willpower. Willpower is in the emotional spectrum. It's when you don't feel anything. You're just, like, numb inside. That's when they yeah, but, can't see you. Yeah, but willpower is... It's, it's a... I don't look at willpower as a feeling, though. It's, it's a drive, but it's not... It, like, willpower is not the same as the other six. Well, that's very true, but... With as a Green Lantern, like they they just exude willpower, like they'd have to like they'd have to tone down their willpower to get seen to, to get not seen. Why wouldn't I mean in in the Green Lantern and Green Lantern core books, you got like Hal Jordan and Kyle Rayner showing up as all green almost all the time. So why wouldn't a Black Lantern just immediately try and feast on them instead of like provoking them with people they know? If because I mean, if your if your goal is to get them riled up and like be as willpowery as you can, they're there already. Maybe hmm. willpower just isn't as good as the other ones. Or the Black Lanterns don't know how to really channel it properly to take you know to take it and actually make it useful and purposeful, because you know. The you know Black Lanterns are you know simply about bringing back I guess like the balance of death and covering things and covering things with death and how can you properly use willpower with death? Those are two things that don't really mix very well, if at all. You know you think of willpower, you think of life, and and it's something the Black Lanterns would like to take away, but how? But if they take it away, how can they use it properly? Yeah. You know, and you know, especially from somebody like Hal Jordan, who's seen, who's already seen death before. So that you know, that brings up another question too. How, you know, certain heroes that have already seen death before and are back. How do the Black Lanterns properly handling them, or how are they going to handle them? Um, it's yeah, it's it's kind of deep. 
it's 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 kind of deep. But when Mara said what uh, she said about, um, to Firestorm about because I think she said to Firestorm first. I can't remember. Yeah, um, yeah she, she said Firestorm first. That was once again a clue in my head that something was just like, dude, Jason, <laughs> Jen, y'all got to hear this. Be cool. <laughs> keep you cool. Keep you cool. And Jason didn't keep his cool, and he really made things worse, and Jen got killed um, because of it. Because he couldn't keep his emotions in check. He couldn't just block it all, block it all out. Um, with how this book to me has given more purpose to uh, for me because I don't read a lot of Green Lantern, um, although I should because everybody tell me Rebirth is great and I've got the uh, Sinestro Core War uh, trades um, in my house just haven't had time to read them yet. I like what they've done with Hal in this book, and I'm not sure if he's like this in, in the other series as well, but. You know, he is half-cocked. He comes off half-cocked. He's just, you know, he's all about action, action, action. We've got to go handle this now, and we'll just deal with everything else when we get there. And I haven't seen that from Hal in a very long time because I'm coming from a stage of where I read him in the 80s, I read him in the early 90s. And Hal was a very two-dimensional, stagnant character before he became Parallax. Yeah. And... Even when he was the Spectre, he was a very boring, two-dimensional, two-dimensional character in my eyes. But I like the fact that, you know, with Guy Gardner, Guy Gardner's cocky. It's it's given. John Stewart, John Stewart is very he's driven. He's got a goal. You know, he's his ways are set, and that's it. Kyle Rayner, he's the artist. Everybody, every Green Lantern has their own um, either agenda, focus, and personality. Hal, for years, never had personality. And in this book, he's got personality. And then, and granted, like I said, it may be in the Green Lantern book right now, but unfortunately, I just, because of budget reasons, I don't read it. So I'm not sure if he comes off like that in the book as well. That's, that's like, part of, like, why the, the series has been so good, because they have, like, done a lot of work in, you know, in giving him a personality and a purpose and everything like that. And this page, or two pages in this issue, where Hal and Barry are just, like, they're going back and forth, basically calling each other out on how they've been respectively behaving since their resurrections. That's It's just so great, because it's like, these are two people, they've been friends for so long, they know each other inside and out, and, you know, the, you, you know I hope everybody has the, that kind of friend that they can just be this blunt with. Definitely. It's like it, it just speaks to like so much more of like who they are and how they look at things. Well, not only that, but this series also gives Barry Allen purpose too. Flash Rebirth, yeah, it's cool. I, you know, it's cool and everything. Yeah, it's nice to see Barry back. And but at the same time, when I was reading Flash Rebirth, I was like, okay, is there really, really a reason why he's back in the DC universe? Well, wasn't mad that he's back. You know, hey, that's just how that's the ebb and flow of things. People come back, um, especially in the big two. But I was like, is there really a purpose why he's here? Reading Blackest Night and also reading that Green Lantern crossover where Flash and uh, Gia and Hal um, fight the uh, Black Lantern and Martian Manhunter, mm. I see that purpose again. I, I, see, I start to see the purpose why Flash is actually here. Or why, I'm sorry, why Barry Allen is here. Um, and I like that. I like that. I'm, it just They're giving Barry Allen weight. And yeah. I, I wasn't really seeing that in Rebirth, but I see it here. 
And they're subtly playing up his CSI mentality. Because, like, even during the battle in this issue, he's trying to run down, like, what all they know and what could it mean. He even even experiments with taking Firestorm's ring off. Mm -hmm. And that's how he learns, like, well, okay, that's not an option. They're rooted to these bodies. I really like the Adams theory that, like, you know what? What if it's not these people wearing the black rings? What if it's the rings wearing their bodies? Like, what if the rings are in charge, you know? Good point. Very, very good point. Uh, when Indigo, oh, with Indigo 1, says that uh, green light reinforced with another such as ours will neutralize the black rings and leave them susceptible to conventional damage, the, the way I read it, it meant that like green plus any other color would do that, not just green plus Indigo. Is that how you took it, too? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's definitely what they're saying here. Why do you think that is? I mean, like... I mean, obviously, it's because, you know, they want to involve the Green Lanterns, but, and, and okay, so maybe it's because it's at the center, but, I mean, like, I, I don't know, it just, it seems a little, you know, almost arbitrary. Like, it would seem like if you had purple and red, you know, together, then that, that combination should also kind of work to disrupt the connection. I thought that at first, too, and I thought it was kind of a cop-out that, oh, hey, look, your main character just happens to be the key to stopping the bad guy. But, I mean, think of it, it's willpower. Mm-hmm. Willpower is the get-it-done force. So it's like, you put that extra oomph behind another emotional power, then that would just, like... I mean, look at what... I don't know if Sean's read this, but look at what uh, what Hal was able to do to Larflees because he had a blue ring and a green ring. Oh, like that, true. like that happened because the blue ring was amped by the green ring, and vice versa. Right. And and plus the simple fact that you know, since the beginning of you know the creation of Green Lantern, it's been about Green Lantern. The, the, you know that Lantern that Lantern core is the primary core, um, for, at least for readers. It's the primary core, so it only makes sense that you know if you take a another ring, another color, channel it through with green that it's going to have some type of effect because they've been the primary core, you know, our, you know, our whole reading lives. So it only makes sense to make the Green Lanterns a key um, in itself. Because if you think about it, if you took like yellow, if you took fear and rage and put them together, if anything, that might do more harm for, you know, the, you know, that might do more harm than actual good in trying to destroy the, uh, the Black Lanterns, you know, trying to channel fear and rage into or kill something with fear and rage may only just make the Black Lantern more powerful. It, it's, that's just the thought that's going on going on in my head. It's it's more of a more of like a chemical reaction type thing. You know, if but throughout everything, the green is the battery. Everything has to be channeled through green in order for this to work. And so the green is the centerpiece. And without it, there is nothing. Uh, a couple other things that I wanted to to mention. Um, I mean in this issue we find out Okay, well, that's what ended up happening to the Atom. He shrunk down super small. Now, like, his costume's kind of beat up, so that would seem to indicate that there was some sort of altercation when he first got there, right? Yeah, it's either that or when he was investigating the ring, because the ring has, like, some type of, uh, you know, life force or embodiment to it. Mm-hmm. He was fighting the elements of the ring itself, in, you know, in, inside the ring. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Because I'm not sure how the Atom works, because I... I've... The way I took it was like, all right, he he was microscopic coming through the phone, 
but he had to start to grow before you could see the big old zombie Hawkman coming at him with a mace. So maybe he, like, took a hit when he was, like, partially grown, but then shrunk back down. Right. Either way. We learn that the rings are made up of, like, dark matter, which I, I thought was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> They're laced with wormholes inside, too, funneling the energy all over the place. Yeah. Um, the Atom wonders why the Hawks were chosen first to become Black Lanterns. Yeah. So with that, that, like, text bit that we got in uh, Blackest Night number two, I think, uh, you know, at some point they'll probably explain why, but... You know, it's in- interesting that they emphasize it again there. That might lend credence to your theory about them in the Violet Battery. Maybe. Um, the uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Isn't there, like, a Vertigo series, the Unknown Soldier? Soldier? Yes. Yes, there is. And it's, um, I mean, it's an entirely different uh, character um, as well. So it's one of those things where they can... They can probably use the original unknown soldier who was in DC proper without any issues, but the new one strictly Vertigo. So I doubt it's the one from from the Vertigo series. Okay, I like how like they pick Hal because he has a connection to every core. So yes, some of those connections are pretty bad though. <laughs> well, granted, but like uh, you know, like he ha- he started out his career with Atrocitus. Um. He, like, had, you know, he was basically, like, the one person to, uh, you know, kick Larfleeze's butt, you know, in that that whole situation. You know, obviously, Sinestro is his arch nemesis. Blue, he actually wore St. Walker's ring when he was a Blue Lantern for a very short amount of time. And with uh, the Star Sapphires, you know, now, like, the most powerful member, Carol, he's had a relationship with. The only thing that he doesn't have a relationship with is Indigo. Indigo won't leave him alone, so he's covered there. <laughs> so, although, if Ray Palmer were to become a really powerful Indigo Lantern, I'm just saying. And I'm not going to spoil Let's not spoil it here, just because it's not even out yet. Uh, there's a certain cover floating around for December that, you know, it may or may not solve Hal's problem of having to get Atrocitus's help. <laughs> so, so we'll say. Oh. Uh, but I'm I'm still I'm on pins and needles waiting for them to bring the Blue Lanterns into this more. Like as soon as I saw Saint Walker's little like like little vignette in there, I'm like, oh god, it's they're holding on by a thread. Go to Odom, just go there, damn it. <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm like, trying to connect it in my head. I'm like, okay, wait, when Hal fell on the bat signal, wasn't he at 50%? Okay, he'll go see Carol, and that'll drain his power, and they'll have to go to Odom to recharge, and then they'll finish the Orange Lantern thing. It'll be amazing. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to have to wait so many more months for this. <laughs> I just... <laughs> oh, man, recharge his power by visiting the Blue Lanterns. Yeah, because, I mean, you got to figure... I, I don't know where in space any of this stuff is. I don't think anybody does. But, you know, it, how hard would it be to say that Zamoron is closer to Odom than it is to Earth? And he doesn't have a lot of power left. Plus, it's on the way. Oh, yeah, sure. Round trip. You know, scenic route. Two more, two more things that I wanted to mention. And then we'll okay. talk about the text page at the back. Uh, sure. Well, I have one more thing from the from the page, too. But, okay. Yeah. Um, well, just like the status quo... As we leave this book now, Hal is being taken to Zamoron, 
and you have a whole bunch of villains that are being risen. Um, including uh, Maxwell Lord and uh, Alexander Luther and and Copperhead and the uh, Doctor Light Psycho Pirate. Oh yeah, it's it's about to get heavy. I appreciate that they put a uh, Earth Three on Alexander Luther's little cubby hole. <laughs> <laughs> I, what what I wonder is is that if there's going to be anything coming up where Black Lantern and Max, Ma, Maxwell Lord and Wonder Woman have an occurrence or issue. Yes, we do know there's going to be a Blackest Night Wonder Woman tie-in. It's going to be, I think, three issues, and I believe the first cover is him trying to strangle her. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Or snap her neck. Oh, yeah. One good turn. Oh, oh, my God. <laughs> One good turn deserves another. Oh, I am terrible. <laughs> and I'm sure Alexander Luther's probably going to be linked with uh, with Superboy somehow, whether it be Superboy Prime or, or Connor Kent. Um, there's, de- there's definitely something that's going to go on there. No, no question. Yeah. No question. Uh, on the page where Jason grabs Firestorm's shoulder... He gets these flashes of like just these scattered images, and most of them are just you know stuff going on in tie-ins or whatever. <laughs> There's two notable ones, well, three notable ones I wanted to point out. First, we get we get to see uh you know the desecrated gravesite of Victor Sage, the original question, right? And he's got like a big question mark burning in the ground around it. Oh. <laughs> With which makes my friend Rob very happy because he's a huge Question fan. And he, frankly, he wants to see the Question just be like, as a Black Lantern, just be like just kind of standing in the background of a Detective Comics issue just so Greg Rucka can have him again. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, you know, we haven't said, yeah, they have come out and said who the big bad is. I won't say it here, you know, but, you know, it's on the internet and previews and everything. And we see the first inkling of that here, because at the bottom, look at. Are you looking at the page? I don't even know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Look right under Jason's arm. You get to see the the head of a scythe with like a power battery at the hilt. Oh. And directly above Jason's head, let's a uh, mysterious, out of place eye, watching everything. <laughs> and. And is that the eye that is a part of um, a part of the uh, person that owns the uh, scythe? Correct. Uh, you know, based on that that uh, image that the uh, previews cover, I think it is. Very nice. Um, one more thing that I just realized, and like I just assumed that it was the Spectre. Mm-hmm. That's actually Ragman in the corner. His entire costume is made up. Of like souls that he captures. Oh my god, I, I can't even imagine how that's gonna interact. Wow, I thought that, I thought it was deep with uh, with Dead Man back in issue two. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm. like, how how does a, a dead a dead man become a? Because like when when he, when he got turned into into a Black Lantern, I'm like, okay, so do we still have regular Dead Man and Black Lantern Dead Man, or is it just? I, I was so confused. <laughs> I became cross-eyed. Yeah, well, I thought it was like somehow the Black Lantern was coming out of his spirit, so I didn't realize it was like his body coming up from. Because I didn't realize he was okay. It came through the soil through him. Okay. All right, so Jim, you want to talk about the text piece? Okay. Um, yeah, like it basically just talks about rage, 
and it you know goes to mention you know a whole bunch of stuff about the specter i'm wondering if like they're trying to imply that the spirit of vengeance the specter is actually the rage entity interesting i i looked at it more more of a and just from like a narrative standpoint, from a standpoint of okay, they're talking about the Red Lanterns, and um, the next issue will be we're going to we're going to get a lot of interaction from the Red Lanterns in issue four. That that's that's how I, that, that's how I that's what I got out of it. That, that's what I got. I'm like okay, it's going to be red focused, or at least half the or at least a quarter of the book, the Red Lanterns will be in the book, and they will be a main focal point of the story, and something will happen because of them. That's that's what I got from it. It took like a critical analysis of the Spectre, how like like his whole motivation doesn't seem to make sense, his power set doesn't seem to make sense, you know, maybe he even wears gloves because of the blood on his hands. And it it also serves as a it also serves from like a comic from just a comic reader standpoint, it serves as a fact that a lot of people don't really know the purpose of the Spectre period from a reader standpoint, not just from the Black Hand standpoint, from the Black Lantern standpoint. It's also from a reader standpoint. I mean, really, if you sat down with like a lot of comic readers, you say, well, what's the purpose of the Spectre? They would just shrug their shoulders because even they don't know. You know, you know what Green Lantern's for. You know what Flash is for. You know what Batman and Superman is for. They've always been defined, but Spectre's never truly been defined ever, at least in, 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 in my eyes, I just thought he was a powerful dude that wouldn't interfere. And when he did get, in, and then when he did interfere, nothing really happened. He just got in the way and just caused more damage. His purpose has never truly been understood. Yeah, and they even shine a light here on like, well, by what standards does he judge people? Like, what's like, is it like quote unquote gods? But even then, like, what what standards are those? Like, what are like, where is the cutoff? You know? Yeah. No, it's it's definitely a very subjective you know, concept. And uh, the other thing with this is, like, what it says about the Phantom Stranger, who, like, even more so than the Spectre, like, nobody knows anything about the Phantom Stranger. Mm-mm. I know what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they, the way that they say, even the Phantom Stranger, the one who lives off the secretions of my Lord's birth, will see the darkness. <laughs> I I mean like I, he lives off the secretions of the the lord the lord's birth the the dark lord you know of, you know the black lanterns huh yeah I have no idea what that means and that's just <laughs> I'm, like yeah. <laughs> I'm very I'm glad to see like like it's almost like like not an afterthought but like. Okay, yeah, we're doing all this great stuff. We're gonna redefine death. Oh, and we're gonna throw in a Phantom Stranger explanation for the hell of it, which <laughs> I wel- I welcome. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt, yes. no doubt, because that's an- another one of those dudes. Yeah, what's your purpose? <laughs> You're here for what? You know, I I don't I don't get you. You just wear that fancy hat and gloves. You show up like the Watcher, and then you disappear. Pretty much. I don't get you. You were into a room. I am a stranger, and then run out again. <laughs> uh, okay, so now we're running pretty long, and uh, let's let's tackle Green Lantern Core number forty, guys. Okay. All right. So Green Lantern Core forty, pretty basic issue. Aresia comes back to Oa. She finds like all the crap hitting the fan with the Black Lanterns attacking the Green Lanterns. Uh, 
her entire dead family of Green Lanterns shows up, which, you know, who didn't see that coming? Uh, Kyle is dealing with Jade, who's trying to basically, like, convince him, oh, it's fine, come here, let me put my hand on your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We cut to Miri, who's, you know, she's tracking down Crib, who got away from Zamoron, but the two of them agree, like, all right, look, we have to... we have to go tend to these babies. Crib has locked up on this world so they don't die, but the kids aren't there, and they go off to, to try and find them. Back to Kyle, who re- who reveals, like, okay, I'm not buying any of your crap, unloads a giant fireball on, J- on Black Lantern Jade, and their battle ensues. More Black Rings revive the science cell prisoners that were executed of an arc back. Guy has a run-in with Biz and Keon... Natu and Iolade arrive at the infirmary to try and save those who can't defend themselves. And, probably the biggest thing in the issue, Salak establishes himself as the acting leader of the Green Lantern Corps in the Guardian's absence. And he makes one rule change. Yeah, something that I think is going to be devastating. That, uh, you know, as of this moment, there's a freeze on recruitment. Which means, like, any time a Green Lantern dies, their rings are going to go to Mogo and just wait. Which means that from here on in, Black- in Blackest Night, the size of the Green Lantern core is just going to keep shrinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not good. That is not good. I really like this cr- the Crib Miri thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, they've very quickly been given an effective reason to team up and do the buddy cop thing. Because, right. I mean, M- Miri wants to drag Crib back to Zamoran and seal her in a crystal, but Miri also wants to make sure the kids are alright and needs Crib to track them. And Crib would just as soon kill Miri, except Crib can't find the kids without her. Uh, one thing that I thought was, like, really cool and I completely forgot, all those children, babies, they're all orphans, basically, because Crib killed all the parents. Yeah, that's something I realized, like, last night, right before bed. I'm like, oh, crap. Because I, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that, you know, are we supposed to infer that they were taken by their dead parents? I, I'm guessing that's pretty much what they're going for there. One thing that I was wondering um, with the, the Guardians, like, are they still there under the black goop, or, or I what? think they are. It looked... The art was a little weird there, but I think they're still in it. I'm wondering if, um, from reading this issue, because like it took me, like I said, it took me a moment to try to get a proper understanding of everything that's going on, because there are a lot of characters that are floating around in this book. Um, and f- for somebody that, that hasn't really gotten to the core too much, is something because after I see that after Gardner caught that injury, uh, or, yeah, that's pretty gruesome. Uh, yeah. Get stabbed with a horn in the leg. I got a feeling in my head that something major is about to happen to, to Guy Gardner. Um, or if not, I'm not saying that like this, this, this little, uh, well, him getting hurt this way is, uh, you know, not major, but I think something's going to happen because I think he's, he, this is a character that is definitely in, in, not in need of change, but I think he's about to, about to hit a major change again, especially, especially in black. It's not, he's going to hit a major change and I might be wrong about it, but I just got a feeling in the back of my head he's about to hit a major change. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> I think that's a safe bet. Okay, kinda... cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, because, I mean, as long as it's not, you know, the return of Guy Gardner Warrior, 
I'm good uh, with that. Uh, okay. You and Howard Chaykin. Okay. <laughs> uh, I gotta hand it to um, Tomasi, though. He made me break out a dictionary. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Like, did, did either of you know what, what, uh, Clarissa and Illustres, or however the hell you say it, were before this? I just figured it was titles that they gave the people, uh, that were of high power. Yeah, well, it's, it turns out, like, both of them are two levels of rank in the Roman Senate. So, I don't know. It's kind of cool, but it seems kind of arbitrary at the same time, but. The, um, artwork by Gleason. It, it took me a while because, like, there's some parts of it where, like, the artwork, it's you're trying to get a feel of everything that's going on and trying to, you know, attain all the images and stuff like that. And sometimes it looks, you know, you're trying to, like, you know, it's like, it's, okay, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? And you can't really get a clear, defined voice of who it is, who's who sometimes. But that last page, that last page is beautiful. Yeah. That last page is outstanding. Um, simply, simply outstanding. But... But now, the one thing this book did do, strike up my uh, curiosity about the Green Lantern Corps. So now i got to find a way to buy this book now. Trade. <laughs> good, good point. Very good point. What you call it? So, when, uh, so two points about Jade. One, like apparently she knows that Kyle has seen the face of his true love in Mary Stone, and she knows that it was her. Hmm. So, I mean, like, I'm wondering, like, how, how on earth would she possibly know that? Oh. She read his Facebook. Uh, they, that's, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing, um, she uses her Black Lantern recreation of how her, uh, like, Power Pulse thing. Mm-hmm. Generate images of all, of, like, you know, these past women that um, Kyle has cared about. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. So, like, I know that, okay, the one to the far left is Alex, the one that got shoved in a refrigerator. Yep. The one right next to her is Jade, who is here now, and, you know, we know that yeah. she died. Um, and then the next two, I would say the, the next one would probably be his mother. That's what I think, too. Um, the one on yeah. the edge there looks like she has a tie. Yeah, I don't know who the guy is. <laughs> oh, that is a guy. Yeah. Well, I think he has a mustache, doesn't he? Yeah, it looks like a mustache. I'm like, that's not Kyle's dad, is it? Oh. No. No, it's not. His dad's alive. Okay. Are you sure? Yes. Kyle went to visit him. When? Like, remember the original Ion story? Yes. It was like at the end of that. Oh, yeah, like just after, because he retained some of the information. Well, yeah. the thing thing is, there's also another face. You can you get an outline of a, uh, a side of a face and nose after the gentleman with the uh, mustache. And I'm wondering who that is. Back on the left side, you see um, you also see a finger. You also see a, a, like a standalone finger, so it looks like there's somebody else there too. Yeah. Oh my God! I just noticed this. Look, the hand that's like right, kind of covering part of his head. Mm-hmm. There's there's little hands coming out of each finger. <laughs> creepy. <Very> creepy. <laughs> um, that, that's that's finger hands. <laughs> oh, of course, I remember him. That's his old friend, finger hands. Yeah. Uh, but this this whole thing with Jay kind of reminded me of the sins of the Star Sapphire arc, where you know we think the bad girl really has him, then he shows he's in control of the situation and just like unleashes hell on her. Is is Radu still alive? 
I think he is. He didn't wear a tie. Hmm. But he had a mustache, didn't he? Yeah, but he was bald, too. <laughs> oh, man. I'm ecstatic that Isamad and Vath are finally back in the book, and they're talking. They have speaking roles again. <laughs> oh, they just faded away. They used to be main characters of this book, and they just faded away, and now they're back. I love it. The executions from, like, what, two, three issues ago are is coming back to uh, haunt them. Not to mention Katma, Lantern Katma Tui, John Stewart's dead ex-wife. Well, <laughs> dead wife. I guess this ex-wife. It becomes ex-wife when you, she dies, right? I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't think he remarried, so... <laughs> oh, well, maybe, maybe this will be good for them, then. <laughs> I fully expect to see Booz, like, next issue, because these... They, if there's one thing they've hit home, it's that these rings rebuild the bodies, so I don't think he's going anywhere. Well, yeah, well, like, in that very panel, right after he gets squished, that's him regenerating, I think. Yep, yeah, yeah, right about where this, the shunk is under, um, he's on top of the word, sh- um, uh, shunk. Oh, okay, I didn't even catch that. I was more like, hey, it's Keon. <laughs> Thera will be pleased. <laughs> I like seeing Guy just take out a Black Lantern, even though it is a housefly. Still, it's like, like that's, that panel of him, like, forcing him back just through sheer force of will from hitting his ring, that was really great. <laughs> But yeah, really solid issue. And I agree, that last page is really great. It's really clean. It's really yes. like clean and style and uh uh stylized, like like more like more of a cartoony element to it, which I like. Yeah. yeah it, it it definitely stands out amongst all the other pages for sure. Okay. okay. So Jim, wanna talk about Titans really quick or Yes. Yes I do. Um we have uh Blackest Night Titans number one. Um they're all kind of remembering the dead that have passed, all the Titans uh, that have gone. I didn't actually realize that the Hawks were originally part of the Titans. Mm-hmm. Hawk uh, and Dove? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew I knew the new ones were, but, uh, okay, so apparently the, you know, the original Hawk and Dove were part of the team. The new Hawk and Dove are, you know, looking at their statues, talking to them. We get an, a recap of... Uh, the Black Lantern rings going to the graves of the Hawks, you know, Hawk and Dove. Um, they're able to bring back Hawk, Hank Hall, but uh, Don Hall, who is the Dove, um, they can't get to him. So then you have Hawk and Dove in their civilian clothes, kind of just like, you know, walking around. They start seeing, like, you know, dead birds actually hawks and doves that are, you know, just dead. So they kind of, like, go on, you know, the hunt. And we get to see the Black Lantern hawk view them in its, like, emotional, you know, kind of vision. And Hawk, who is just, like, super angry, is seen in rage. And Dove is seen with, like, a white glow that's indecipherable by the Black Lantern ring. So... That's exciting. Oh, and not only is yeah, not not only that, but I mean, it definitely it definitely links toward uh, the whole thing with Don Hall as well. It, there's definitely some link as far as like the Dove characters go with, with all this. And because my thing is, is that with Don Hall, Don Hall, you know, he's dead. They say his soul is at peace, so they can't get him. But I'm sure there have been other heroes or other people that have died whose souls are quote unquote at peace. 
that they probably pulled out. It's it's kind of strange. What what designates a soul being at peace to not you know not be able to be removed? Well, uh, I have a theory on that, but I'll get to it in a second. Okay, yeah. sorry. Um, you go back to uh, Titan's Tower, and Beast Boy sees Terra, the superhero. She's long since dead. It's like an amazing splash page, by the way. And, you know, they're talking, and he's like, oh, wow, you're back. And she doesn't look, like, decayed or anything like that, so he starts kissing her. And all of a sudden, we find out that there's another Black Lantern. Um, what's her name? Lilith. Yeah, Lilith, who is using her powers to make Terra look normal, but it turns out that she's actually all decayed and dead. And she's a Black Lantern now also. And she's about to grab Garth's heart when we clip to Donna Troy, who is looking at a baby carriage, like a phantom baby carriage. And that's probably going to be uh, like a Black Lantern of her baby that died, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't like her baby and her husband die in a car accident? Yep. Yeah, right. Back in the 90s somewhere, like late 90s. Then we clip to Hawk and Dove, who have been fighting the Black Lantern Hawk. And, you know, he's pretty much just, uh, you know, beating them up and knocking them out. Until finally, he gets what he came for, as he thrusts his hand into Hawk's body to rip out her heart. Okay, so, back to the concept of Dove being at peace and whatnot. Like, the whole concept of Hawk and Dove is that Hawk is, you know, well, they're, they're both like uh, the agents of chaos and order. Hawk being, you know, an agent of chaos and Dove being the agent of order. So, like, with Don Hall being at, at peace, you know, or at rest, um, you know, it could be that that's just something that he's earned after being, you know, like a you know, a, a tireless worker for the purpose of order. That would make sense. Um, but it also makes me wonder, though, um, this um, um, whole agency of order, per se, are they going to have a bigger role in Blackest Night, or is this just going to be a just continual blip on the on the Blackest Night, on, on the whole Blackest Night series? Put our minds on that and take our minds off of something that's probably more important that, you know, that strikes us later. I don't know, because I've, for a while now, I've been thinking that you know, there are certain character resurrections we've seen in the last couple of years that, I, well, I, this is going under the assumption that characters will be coming back after Blackest Night. So you wonder, like, okay, why would they bring back Barry Allen, Bart Allen, Connor Kent before Blackest Night if they could have just done it as part of the aftermath? And so part of me's thinking, like, well, maybe there's something about them, the way they live, the way they died, that you know, the Black Rings couldn't bring them back, like with Don Hall here. Mm-hmm. So, I don't, know, I don't know what the connecting fiber would be, like, if it's the fact that, that you know, they, they all died heroically, they all gave their lives to stop, especially with Barry Allen's case, to stop, like, chaos from encroaching on reality. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, like, yeah, I thought about that, but... I mean, realistically, like, out of all the people that are being risen as Black Lanterns, like, you're trying to tell me that none of them died, like, a heroic death? That's why I feel like, like, there's gotta be some 
tilt on it that we're just not thinking of, you know? I don't know. I, I think it may have more to do with, like, you know, the concept of order is, you know, just, like, somehow connected to the white light. Or, you know, um, you know, conversely, it could be that the, the Lords of Chaos are connected to, you know, the, you know, the black. Um, but I, I have a feeling that, like, you know, the, the concept of order is really, you know, the, the bigger factor in the, you know, the white light and the non-resurrection of Don Hall. Mr. Uh, Kroll, who, who wrote this story, made the new Hawk come off as so one-dimensional. It's like something's going to, you could automatically tell right off the jump something that was, go- was going to happen to her. Automatically, yeah. she he, she was written very 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 one dimensional um, in, in my in my opinion. I don't think she's the only one because I mean like I've only really read one run of Titans. That was when Jeff Johns was on the book, mm-hmm. and I by no means am an expert on these characters. But like in this issue, for for the little dialogue she got, Starfire seems so like like she's not this alien. Like obviously she is an alien. But mm-hmm. she's spent so much time living on Earth with humans. She, her friends are humans. She's been in relationships with them. Like, she comes off as so, like, like almost typical alien through her dialogue, you know? She comes off as very distant. Yeah. Um, very, very distant. And, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of bizarre. And I know, like, her character's been through some things, like, with 52 and whatnot. But still, I mean, even through Titans and everything, it's, it, it's kind of odd. It's kind of odd. I mean, the artwork in this whole story is beautiful. Um, if anything, the artwork in this story will probably, you know, entice me to come back to read another issue. But um, it, I'm trying. I'm just really trying to pull something out of this that really holds, you know, that, that gives you know additional weight to Blackest Night. And I, and the only thing that I can really pull out of it um, is with the whole um, Dove thing and the whole eight, the whole order issue that's that's the only thing i can really pull from it besides that i really you know is there a purpose for yeah i mean i'm looking forward to seeing i mean to me the most thought-provoking part of this issue is the uh, the idea of donna having to deal with seeing her dead baby again yeah, and yes. pot- and potentially like her dead husband too but like like this is like i think that's the most emotionally resonant thing that's going on in here like whether you know the character or not, that should peak your ears up a little bit like, oh, what's what's this? Um, am, I, am I alone in feeling like, well, Black Lantern, Hawk, just, it, it doesn't seem threatening enough? <laughs> well, you know, like, the thing that, I don't know, the, the, the part that kind of weirds me out is that, okay, so, yeah, Hank Hall was Hawk, but... Like, he was also the monarch. Yes. And later, I think, he became extant also. Yeah. So, I mean, like, he's had, like, you know, a bunch of different, you know, lives, and, you know, they were all, like, a hell of a lot more powerful than uh, Hawk. So why would he come back in his original form? Unless it was to evoke a more, you know, personal response from Dove or something like that. And uh, you hit that right on the head because the whole purpose of a majority of the Black Lanterns is to evoke something. Mm-hmm. And with Monarch or Extant, that would have to, you know, that 
he would have to evoke a group of people because when Monarch or Extant was ever involved in something, it was normally with a group of hero against a group of heroes. Right. But it's it's easier to evoke emotion out of one person if there's that connect like with Hawk. Is it's easier easier to connect and evoke emotions and uh, streamline a story that way. It's just like I feel like I'm in a weird place with it because like like I understand that and I understand like they're pretty much they're picking their targets and like sniping them with specific people. But it's like these like it's like as soon as these as anyone shows up that could help them, the problem will like not go away but be a lot more easy to deal with. Like like Beast Boy and Terra here, Starfire and Cyborg are like. 10 feet away, as soon as they rush up and help him, there's only so much Terra can do, you know? Whereas, and we won't talk about it here, but like, like, I got a lot more out of Blackest Night Superman number one just because of, like, the dramatic power gap between Black Lantern Superman and the people he's going after, because, like, alright, not only do you get, like, okay, these people are having an emotional reaction, but they're also more or less completely helpless against this opponent. <laughs> Just to emphasize what you were saying, Sean, like, the art in this, you know, Ed Bennis' art, this is, like, in my opinion, like, some of his best artwork in, you know, in quite a while. Yeah, this blows away his Justice League stuff to oh, me. yeah, hands down. Yeah. Well, also, what caught me off, what caught, and I, no, shouldn't they call me off guard, like, this book has, um, like, three different inkers. And Does he usually not? I don't know if he inks his own stuff, I just, it kind of caught me off guard that there are three different inkers, and... I'm trying, like, and I was trying to notice throughout the whole book if I could really tell the difference in the three different, you know, in the three different styles of the of the inking itself. But, um, you know, Hi-Fi Color, I did a great job on coloring this book because a lot of times, you know, inkers have different styles, but uh, I couldn't really tell. Yeah, I actually um, didn't notice either. Yeah, you know what? Like, now that you mention it, there were certain parts that came off better looking than others. Just like certain scenes, like when whenever Hawk and Dove were like flying into battle or something like that, you know, it didn't look quite as good as like the Terra pages. So I don't know if you know that is because of a different anchor, but uh, I don't know, maybe. Hmm. Jim, no comment about Donna Troy wearing violet. <laughs> oh, Dan oh, just, just got deep. He just got deep on us. He got deep on us. <laughs> Every time we talk about anything, it's like, oh my god, look at the color of the tag of her sweater that's coming out under her left ear. Oh my god, that means she's going to go to this core. Oh no, there are a lot, there are a lot of blues sprinkled everywhere. And uh, y'all pointed them out in every single book, so no, that might be something. You might have something there. You, you trumped me, Dan, you trumped me. That's <laughs> what I do. So, do we have anything else to say about these books? Uh, no, I don't I, think so. Good. I think, I think we covered them pretty well. Let's take a break and come back with uh, the closing and uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you listen to the Lantern Cast for Green Lantern news, updates, and discussions. What if you want to know more? What if you want to know how the Green Lanterns got their start in the first place? A documentary would be a great place to start. Superman had one. Wonder Woman had one. Even Green Arrow had one when he made his first appearance on the TV show Smallville, but not Green Lantern. People for the production of a Green Lantern documentary is just that. We are a group of fans hoping to persuade DC to put out a documentary on the biggest group of heroes in the DC Universe. A group in existence long before even Baby Kal-El was launched from Krypton. The Green Lantern Corps. 
from its start with Alan Scott to the current one in Blackest Night. We asked DC to put out a documentary ASAP. Search People for the Production of a Green Lantern Documentary on Facebook or type in the URL tinyurl.com forward slash green L. Join our effort on Facebook and become a part of the cause. Or don't you have enough willpower? And we're back. And Sean, you uh, you have anything that you want to pimp out now? Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know what? If uh, people will go to uh, pkdmedia.com so you can read Mercury and the Merd for free, that would be fantastic. Um, also, uh, you can get our comics at indieplanet.com. That's indie with a Y, I-N-D-Y, planet.com. Mercury and the Merd, the collected edition, volume one is there. PKD Media Presents, uh, volume one is there as well. Um, remember, you can pre-order Wasted Wonderland on DCBS and heroescorner.com starting in October. Two ninety nine for forty pages, normally four fifty. Trust me, it's a fun read. Uh, it's probably the strangest thing I've ever written. Um, I'm not saying it's on Grant Morrison levels because he does drugs. I'm on a natural <laughs> high. Um, so no, check it out. You won't be disappointed at all. At least I feel that you won't be. And um, we will be. Uh, we just, we're just prepping for the rest of uh, for, for prepping for con season next year and uh, going to have more books out hopefully next year as well and some other projects too. Oh, sorry, what conventions are you gonna, are you looking to hit next year? Uh, next year right now, the one definite is Super Show. That's a definite. Um, yes. I already got, already got that locked in place and uh, we're trying to, I got a couple of artists. Oh, we've got a couple of tables. We're going to be spread, spread out in one section and it's going to be me along with uh, Will Blankenship, um, Jim Miller, Chad Chaconi, Andrew Charpar, and uh, Julian Lytle will all be together in one big section. Uh, we're going to have like all types of promotions. You know, we're going to try to have all types of promotions and and comics and artwork and just everything. And so we're going to definitely be down and ready for the Super Show. We're also part of the uh, 100% Super Show approved promotion that uh, Dave DeWanch from uh, the Geek Savants is putting together along with CGS. So that's a really big deal. But besides that, because of finances, right now, the only show I can say is certain is uh, Super Show next year. I want to at least try to do five cons next year. If I can, I take that back. We'll be back. We'll be back at Pittsburgh in April. Pittsburgh Comic Con in April. Super Show in March. And uh, we're going to try to hit four more. Four more. Con- oh, yeah. Summit City Comic Con. We'll be there. <laughs> okay. I take that back. We got three on the docket already. We got he's, three on the docket. He's going to all of them. Because <laughs> no, I completely forgot. Like, those are already on the docket. And the uh, Superman Celebration. Uh, we should be there, too, for a fact. So there are four conventions for a fact. <laughs> and I, you know what? I'm not going to say anything else before another con pops out that I've already committed to. <laughs> No, but okay. seriously, you guys rock, and I really do thank you for letting me be a part of this. Um, I've got a new understanding of Blackest Night now, and I have a better appreciation for it. After I read the first issue and I read the prelude in Green Lantern, I was kind of freaked out because it was so dark. And and I was just like, you know, I don't know if this is going to be for me. It's starting to flesh out now, and it's starting to become, you know, I'll, I'm I'm now more enticed to actually read it now. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm digging all the little clues now. So, um, and I really want to thank you guys for actually bringing up things that I did not see. So, no, thank you for having me on the show, y'all. Awesome, it was great having you. Yeah, cool. hope to have you back. Almost oh, definitely, man. That would rock. So it's pkdmedia.com. Yes, indeed. Yep, pkdmedia.com. We're open 24 hours a day. 
uh, seven days a week. Please stop by. We we, we really need the hits. <laughs> nice. I actually just uh, placed my first order in like two years with DCBS for this month. So I'll oh. uh, I'll make sure to next month order again and pick up that Wasted Wonderland book. Oh well, thank you. Also, I think they I think DCBS and Heroes Corner is trying to work something out where you can download a six page preview for free. Oh, cool. Nice. So you know, hey, I'm trying to give the people what they want, and I, if I, if I give you a preview, I'm gi- I'm giving you six pages, you know. So uh, just trying to entice once again entice ways to you know get people to trust me and trust PKD Media and uh, trust that our books are entertaining. So we'll see what happens. On DCBS, are you listed under their first light section or? Um, so like I think I'm in their first light section. They may have like one of our books in first light, but if you go to DC, depending on how they do first light. But if you go to DCBS and you click on like, because um, they have like you know they have Marvel, Image, DC, and then they have like other comics. If you click on that and you sort out through publisher, PKD Media should be in there in October too. Oh, cool. Cool. Okay, so I guess one other piece of news that I had was I have taken it upon myself to build a like custom prop replica of a Red Lantern battery. Sweet. He's so, been bleeding for days. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks to some suggestions by Earth G. Billy, I have picked up the balls that I'm going to need to create, like, the central part and the base. And uh, I'll just keep on throwing in little updates here and there as I uh, as I go further. Yeah. Cool. And we need pictures. We definitely need pictures. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Because all by itself, the update that Jim's got balls, just really, it's not that impressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. And on that note, uh, what do you say we close this, Dan? Yeah, you can uh, contact us at lanterncast at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on our forum at thecomicforums.com. Scroll down, all alphabetical-like, to lanterncast. Uh, what else do we have? Do we still have a website? We... Didn't you just say it? Did we? No. So you just said lanterncast.com. <laughs> that was, no. I said our fourth. Did I say it? Well, uh, all right, all right. <laughs> 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 all right, so you can email us. I'm not editing any of that. You can email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. All right, that's your email address. Yes, and our, our website that Dan had mentioned, probably, lanterncast.com. I, <laughs> I said the forum. Our forum is thecomicforums.com. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you just listed it on playback. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, also on our website, we have links to the forum, and we also have links to our Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, you know, come join, be our friend. Or if you're not on Facebook, join up to Facebook solely for the one purpose of being our friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think I'm friends with you, Sean, on Facebook, but I never use it. <laughs> I should really talk to you. <laughs> nice. We're also on iTunes, and we all have our own email addresses here at the LanternCast. I'm Jim at LanternCast.com. Me too. You're, you're not Jim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. I'm Dan at LanternCast.com. Jason is Jason at LanternCast.com. He's our program director, and... Hey, can I actually get my password from you again? I don't know where it is. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. But I haven't checked it yet. Oh. oh.
I, I think that's everything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and go to pkdmedia.com. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Sean. Hey, thank you for having me, man. It was a real good, was a real good time, y'all. Seriously, Dan, Jim, you guys are really nice. Very, 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 very professional. And the uh, comics etiquette that you brought to me on Blackest Night today, off the chain. So seriously, thank you. Yes, and thanks to Jason for setting this all up. Yes, yes thank you, Jason. Thank you, for real, straight up, man. Straight up. Thank you so much, man. I, you know, because, like, like, the fact that, like, y'all even, you know, thought about, you know, bringing me on the show, I was like, why do they want, why do they want me on this show? So, you know, I'm like, they rock. They've had pros. I'm not a pro. <laughs> so, no, no, seriously. I really um, appreciate it. And, you know, y'all are just very, very, um, very, very cool. And I do, I do honestly appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Well, okay. Then uh, until next week, um, so long, everybody. Good night. This is Jim Ford once again, just to make a quick correction. As we had mentioned earlier, I said that CHCL3 was probably flame retardant, and in actuality, that is not the case. It is actually chloroform, the substance that can make people pass out and go to sleep. So whether or not that's going to actually have anything to do with Blackest Night, I don't know, maybe Firestorm will just put everybody to sleep so they can't feel emotions. I don't know. But, yeah, that was not the card. I'm just uh, throwing this correction out there because I know somebody would have caught it eventually. But uh, here it is for everybody. Thanks. Bye again.